I saw an interesting video the other day. It was uh, it's a couple years old now, but it's um, I think it might even be from CBC, but it's on. It makes its round around Facebook and other various places every once in a while. And it's a, it's a couple sitting in their living room and they're talking about living in Canada and one of the things about living in Canada about how cold it is in the winter and and they're talking about how, how just dreadfully cold it is and, and then as the video goes on the guy says, but just wait, just wait. Just look here, it says on the Weather Network that it's going to be plus one in two weeks. Plus one. And they sit together and they just dream about how nice that's going to be two weeks plus one. And as the video goes along, you know, it kind of clicks off the days and it gets to be that two weeks away and it, they look at the online again on the weather network and it's minus 30. They're like, oh man, it's so cold. But it's okay, it's okay because you know what? In two weeks, it's going to be plus one. And then the clip jumps from that family in their living room to the, the people behind the screens at the weather network going, man, it's never going to be plus one. But they would just be so mad at us if we didn't throw that in there two weeks from now. <laughs> Hope is a... A wonderful thing, isn't it? I mean, really, hope is a wonderful thing. And yet sometimes we put our hope in all of these things and we hope that this will happen, we hope that will happen, we hope that this will take place, we hope that this relationship will work, we hope that, that work will go this way. We have all of these hopes. And hope is a wonderful thing. Hope is a powerful thing. We as, we as Christians should know full well how wonderful and amazing and powerful hope is. Because we have hope in His promises. We are assured of this hope through Him. That our hope is not in vain because our hope is in the Lord. The Lord our God who is, who is a trustworthy God. The Almighty God. So what does it mean to you to have this hope? What, what are you hoping for? Sometimes we get, we get tricked into thinking that we need to, that we need to have all of our hope put into the idea of, of wealth or uh, power or fame or all the accolades of, of this life that if I just had those if I could attain this if I could attain this level of wealth or power or fame or have these accolades then, then, then everything would be better everything would be alright and yet the, the stark reality of that is even if you attained all of those things, your days on this world are just as numbered as they were before, but you have given up the hope that is eternal for the hope that fades away. And so we must trust in Him and trust in His promises because we know that He will never let us down. We've all had people in our lives... Um, don't look at anyone in particular here. But if we all have people in our lives that have let us down at certain points. I didn't want, you know, all the husbands to look at their wives and wives to look at their husbands. Say, oh yeah, you forgot my birthday that one time or that one anniversary I didn't get what I wanted. We've all had people let us down. People that we've had high hopes for, right? Uh, people that we've counted on. People that we've had great expectations. Of, people that we've held to a high standard. Uh, people we've cared about. And those people have let us down. And that isn't a shock, is it? Because there's some people who are thinking about us, thinking, well, that, that person let, let me down too. And we're not, 
We're not perfect in the sense where we say, well, look around us. Let us put our hope in people because, you know, people will surely never let us down. Mankind will, will surely never falter. And yet we know that isn't true. We know that isn't true. We've made mistakes and disappointed people just as other people have made mistakes and disappointed us. We are less than perfect. All of mankind is this way. And so we cannot place our hope on mankind. Think of the wisdom of mankind. I mean, just there is a profound amount of wisdom in the collective of mankind. Isn't there? I think we can all agree that, that man has a, has a fairly high level of wisdom. The wisdom of man will fail us. We cannot depend on the wisdom of man. What about the works of man? Think about what man can do when it sets its mind together. To the point where, you know, we aren't really putting our minds together anymore. Because we could accomplish great things. And yet, the, the works of mankind will let us down. If we depend on, on man, if we solely depend on what man can do, we will be let down over and over and over and over again. If our hope is in mankind, it's not going to work. Our hope needs to be in God. And we see through the history of mankind, we see through uh, the scripture and all that's been shared to us there, is that God never lets us down. God does not falter. He does not fade. He's not going anywhere. God is not going to let us down. Our hope has to be in Him who is steadfast. Him who is eternal. Him who is a foundation. For He is a loving God. He is righteous and He is true. He is the one and only God. He is the creator. And He has promised us. And what he has promised us, we know will come true. So do we put our hope in him? Do we put our hope in him? If we want to have an eternity that is an eternity of life, then we had better put our hope in him. And what we see when we do that, what we see when we decide that we're going to, to live for him, is that life then here, as much as it is going toward this eternity of life with him, the life that we have now is lived with a purpose. And scripture is full of passages that calls us and tells us about this purpose. Calls us to examine our lives, calls us to, to study what we're doing, calls us to live together. And to have a certain manner of living. And to truly reflect the nature of God. To examine our conduct. Turn into Philippians. The understanding that how we conduct ourselves is important. The standard of which we hold ourselves to is important. That we desire not to act according to the world and the standard they have set, but to be living lives that are godly, ones that are pleasing to him. In Philippians, the first chapter, starting in verse 27, it says, whatever happens, this is the NIV, whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, 
without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed and that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only you believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. That we are to examine ourselves and to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And I like the NIV because it, it kind of has these couple words that start that passage that says, whatever happens. Now, the context of this passage is he's talking about whether I come to visit you or not, right? Whether I come to visit you or not, I want you guys to hold firm. I want you guys to, to live and have this conduct worthy of the gospel that I've taught you. I, I like the idea of whatever happens, though. Because whatever happens, how are we supposed to live? That's what he's telling them. Whatever happens... How are you supposed to live? How are they supposed to live? Whether he comes and continues to share in person with them or views them from a distance, how are they supposed to live? Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Whatever happens. I think we can, uh, we can view our lives like this. right? I think we can view the, the call that we have on how we're supposed to, to live like this, whatever happens, we can challenge ourselves, I think, with similar words. No matter how today goes, I'm going to live a life worthy of the gospel. So no matter how my work goes, I'm going to live a life worthy of the gospel. No matter how I'm treated by those around me, I'm going to, I'm going to strive to, to live a life worthy of the gospel. I think we can challenge ourselves with, with the similar thinking. No matter what happens around us, the calling for us doesn't change. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. This passage then goes on and says a little bit something else too. And I hope that we, uh, we kind of catch it. Verse 29. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but what? But also to suffer for him. To believe and to suffer. It's an interesting passage, isn't it? I'm sure these are one of the ones that we just love to turn to. How grand it is to be a Christian that we get to believe in him and to... Well, we probably stopped. If we were trying to encourage ourselves, we probably stopped at the believe in him. But that's faulty thinking. Because we get to do this. It says... For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. We get to believe in him and to suffer for him. What, what, what are we talking about here? We're talking about a world that opposes Christ. That opposes life. We're talking about an enemy that doesn't want us to attain eternal life. Do you want to struggle against that? Well, yeah, I mean, that's the struggle we want to have, right? We want to struggle, we want to run the race, we want to continue on toward that prize to which we're called heaven. We want, to, we want to struggle against this enemy that stands against God. We're struggling for Him. And how do we do that? We continue on in, in good conduct. We continue on living the life that God has called us to live. That we continue to believe and struggle against this, this world. This world that, that doesn't know God. A world made up of, of individuals that stand against Him. 
So be prepared. Be prepared to stand firm. Be prepared to, to draw near to God. It talks about having conduct that is in itself worthy of the matter of the gospel of Christ. We had better, as Christians, have a desire and a focus on drawing near to God. I don't know how your day goes. I don't, I don't know what uh, you kind of habits you fall into or how your average day looks for all of you. And maybe we get caught up in work and maybe we have get caught up with kids or maybe we get up, caught up with grandkids or spouses or, uh, or friends or school or all these other things. But if our day does not consist of striving to draw near to God each and every day in action and in speech, in thought, in our prayer lives, in our study lives, then what does our day look like? Now, there's a, the chance of things running parallel, but if you're not drawing near to something, what are the other options? I already told you there's a chance of running parallel, so let's kind of just pretend that one doesn't exist. If you're going to draw, not drawing near to something, what's the other options? Again, you could be at a standstill, or What's the other option? You're getting farther away. Now, when it says to flee from temptation, flee from the devil, and Scripture also tells us to draw near to him, to be mature, to grow, to study, to pray continuously, is Scripture telling us that we should be at a standstill with our God? Is that how it describes our relationship with God? That you, just, you stand there and he'll stand here and everything will be... Or does it describe to us as this, this race that we're running towards something, that we have this idea that we're drawing near to him, that we're coming more and more mature, that we're being more and more like him? Which, which does scripture describe for us? So if our days are, are not intended to be drawing near to God in how we act and how we speak and how we think, then what are we doing? with our days. This transitions into Philippians chapter 2, and part of Philippians chapter 2 is read for us, and we're going to get to that in a bit, but I want to start at the very beginning of Philippians chapter 2. It says this, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in Spirit, and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interests of others. If you have any, and then it talks about all these other things, right? If you have any of all of these things, is Scripture questioning whether we have these things, or is it getting us to think about them? You know, is He saying we know this is. You know, you might find a, a diamond in the rough here every once in a while. Or is he saying that this is, this is what you should be looking at? This is what Scripture tells us that, that life should be looking at, like, and, and, and when we are united with Christ, right? When we are sharing in the Spirit. When we are tender and compassionate. And what is the outcome of all of that? 
first off, I think we understand that when we, we have a relationship with God, when we have a relationship with God, when we are, are truly drawing near to God, that life is changed. And that's what it's talking about here, that life is changed. Are, are you changed knowing God? Is your day different? Or is it not different? Is it the same as it would if you didn't know God? And, and how, how do you know? I think this passage is telling us a, a few ideas here. That we need to be changed. That we have to have hope and joy. It's, so it goes into a whole list of things. We're not going to look at all of them, but it talks about you know this idea of encouragement, comfort, love, fellowship, uh, compassion, all these tenderness, all these other things that, that we're going to have, and they result in something else. They result in our, our coming together and being like-minded. That we strive then to, to come together and be like God, who is calling each and every one of us, not calling each and every one of us in a different direction, but calling each and every one of us in the same direction. I had a conversation with someone not too long ago about this idea, and they were, they were talking about the idea of, of different denominations, talking about the different churches, and, and basically coming to the conclusion that that's all right because we can all look at Scripture and see different things. And that's okay because that's you know, kind of what Scripture is all about. And as the conversation went along, we kind of discussed it a little bit, and then the conversation had to end. But I was thinking to myself, you know, that's not what... Scripture is all about. Scripture does not call us to view it differently. Scripture does not call us to say, well, you can have your opinion and I'll have mine, and both can be absolutely 100% true, even if they conflict with one another. Now, Scripture does call us to be patient with people, to, to teach people, to grow with people so that they can mature and eventually find uh, the truth that is there. But truth doesn't change based on our perspective, perspective of it. Right? We can look at it from one angle. Truth is the same. We may see it differently, but that's, that's me <laughs> interpreting it one way. Truth is the same. We are called to be what? To be like-minded. Is there more than one God? Is there more than one spirit? Is there more than one baptism? When Scripture talks about the church, is there to be more than one church? Is there more than one kingdom? Is there more than one heaven? Is there more than one salvation? Is there more than one gate? Is there more than one good shepherd? If the answer to all those is, yeah, there's a whole bunch, then go in, go in any direction you want. It really wouldn't matter, right? Because we could all just, you know, have our own perspective on, on Scripture. We could have our own perspective on God. We could all view things however man decides to do it, Right? And whatever mankind came up with would be fine then. However, God has told us this, this is the call for mankind. This is how mankind is supposed to live. To be like-minded. To come to the Lord. To come to the one God in one spirit. One Savior. And to come to Him. And to be like-minded. To be unified together. And part of the, the dilemma there is we want to insert ourselves into the equation of our relationship with God or into our salvation that God has given us. That we want to assert ourselves and say, well, this is how salvation should really go because 
I desire it to be true. I want salvation to look like this because it's easier for me to, to kind of view it that way or to digest it that way. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at Scripture and I'm going to say, well, we can take this out because that's not really what it means. I, I can take out, as an example, not the only example, but I can take out baptism because surely that... It, scripture doesn't mean that. It doesn't, it doesn't mean repent and be baptized. It just means repent. And if you get around to baptism, then that's, that's fine. Even though every example of Scripture tells us otherwise... It, it's fine. Just invite Jesus into your heart and you'll be good. Even though scripture doesn't say that. Part of our problem is that we aren't willing to say no to pride. And so then when we don't, when we're not willing to say no to uh, pride or selfishness, we want and desire for how our life is going to be what is acceptable. And then just change God to fit that. Sounds easy enough, right? That, that way we can all just live however we want. And it'll all be okay, right? Because God will just adapt to us. God who is never changing. God who is a foundation. God who is perfect. And we want him to change so that we can live however we want. Well, really what we, what we have to be willing to do is say no to pride and to understand that we come to him, right? We come to him broken. We come to him full of sin. We come to him lost. And he saves us. He forgives us through him, through this death on the cross that was talked about. And then what he asks us to do is then to mold ourselves and to, to grow closer to him, to draw near to him, and to be as he has called us to be, and not the other way around. That we understand that we should be slaves to righteousness. Pride in itself is all about us, right? It's not what... God has called us to. We've already, we've already accepted or talked about earlier that if we put our hope on mankind, it's going to falter. That includes us. If we put our hope on ourselves, it's going to falter. It's going to fade. And so we come to our God. And we repent. And we're obedient. We repent and are baptized for the forgiveness of our sins. We, we come to him who is the good shepherd. Which leads us, I think, to the idea that we need to be accepting of what that life should look like. Then. That we take on uh, the attitude of Christ. Back into Philippians and it says, In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Do we have the same mindset as Christ Jesus? Do you, do you view the world as we see Christ viewing the world? Do we view mankind the way we see Christ viewing it? Do we see uh, you know, within our lives the same reaction to sin that Christ had to, 
to sin? Do we, do we see ourselves taking on this, this same attitudes, the same attributes, the same mindset that Christ had? Is that what our lives look like? Or, or do we see ourselves being saved by Christ, but somehow apart from Christ? That I'm a Christian and I'm saved through the blood of Jesus Christ and I believe in the Bible and I believe that I have this calling to be like Him but I'm not really intended to be as He is. That's not what Scripture calls it. It's be holy. Why? In name only? No, be holy because He is holy. We are joint heirs with Him who is the firstborn among many brothers. We are joint heirs with him. Take on the same mindset as Christ. And what was talked about earlier, and mind-boggling to me, is that it says here, in the NIV it says these words, who is being in the very nature God, or in the very taking the form of or God, or existed in the form of God. Wrap your brain around that. I mean, we can use all the analogies we want to try to wrap our brains around what it was like for Jesus to exist in the form of God, to be in the very nature of God, to be a part of, of God as we know it, and to leave that and become man. Now, any analogy you use pales in comparison to how it actually happened. Just stop and think about God. And now... In your brains, because we don't want everyone to shout out at the same time. Describe what God is like. I mean, just God, okay? All-powerful, all-knowing, exists outside of time, creator, who is love and truth, and all these things, okay? Begin to view this picture of God. Do you have that picture of, in your head? Okay. Now, you, Jesus, who existed, says, in the form of God, who was God, left that to be a child born in what we would probably call just a, a barn a stable okay are you wrapping your brain around that now we've heard that often we know that we believe it to be true but now envision how, how does that work God who is outside of time who is spirit is now this physical baby who is dependent dependent on other man to, to raise it, to look after it. And he does that so that he can live this life. So who is the attitude of Christ? Who is God so that he can be what? What does Jesus come to do? To, you know, some script passages will say, well, you know, he's going he's gonna to rule. He's going to have this kingdom, right? That sounds worthy of God, right? And yet when the sign that he has that says, here is the king of the Jews, where is that sign? It's hanging on a cross as Jesus, who existed in the form of God, hangs there, giving up his life, giving up his spirit so that we could have life. He's described for us as the suffering servant. Jesus came not to rule the world in the sense that man thinks about ruling the world, or to establish a kingdom in the sense of the kind of kingdom that man kind of anticipated. But to serve. To the point where it says he was willing to give up his life and die on a cross. 
So now we go back and we look at the, the attitudes of Christ. We're taking on the same mindset of Christ. Do we have the same mindset of Christ? If, if he who was God was willing to serve in this area, what should we be willing to do? What should our mindset be like? How should we view the world around us? When Jesus saw someone who was hurting, what did he do? How many times do you think in Scripture, and I don't know the exact number, but how, how many times do you think it describes Jesus as having compassion or being moved by seeing those around him and the, the hurt and the distress and the pain, even, even the physical pain that they were in? And he responded to that in love, in kindness, in gentleness. And he went out of his way to reach out to people and to share with people, to teach people, those who were sinners, those who were lost. How do we view the world around us? I, I would hope that we never get to the point where we view the world around us like the Pharisees viewed the world around them. And I'll be quite honest with you, I think that's one of the great temptations of the church, is to view the world around it like the Pharisees viewed the world around them. That they were righteous, and that they were good, and that they had it all figured out, and the rest of the world is just sin. Have nothing to do with it. And unless you're willing to come and be us, that we can't interact with you basically, not 100%, but basically the thought of the Pharisees. I hope the church never, ever, I'll throw another ever in there, ever gets to that point. Because that is not the mindset of Christ. In fact, who did Christ seem to have most difficulty with? It was the Pharisees the Sadducees, the teachers of the law, all those that we would think, well, man, they were sure stuck, stuck in their righteousness, not able to see what was going on around them, not able to reach out with compassion, not able to reach out to a world that was lost and truly, truly care about it and desire for it to be as God had called it to be, to be servants. Well, that's the call for us. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Be like-minded. So all of us are to have this same mindset. To be a servant. We need to be workers in the kingdom. We need to be filled with compassion and not pride. We need to be filled with this passionate desire to serve the king. As Ray mentioned earlier, there is one truth that we know that every single person will be a part of. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. But the outcome will not be the same for everyone. Even though every knee will bow and that every tongue will confess, not the same outcome isn't there. You ever thought about what that means? I mean, we, we can look at some people uh, historically. We would say, "Well, that person is that person's a not a very good person," and yet they will have an opportunity to bow before 
the judgment seat of Christ and confess that he is Lord. Won't, won't, won't change the outcome of their life, but they will. So that means the most, you know, the most devout um, atheist who is proud that they're an atheist, they will bow before the judgment seat of Christ and confess that he is Lord. The proudest Buddhist or, or Muslim or Christian will, will all bow before him who is the Savior. Ray talked about what a sight that will be, Christ coming back, what a sight that will be. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. draw a lot on what eternity will look like the hope that we have I hope that everyone that's here this morning is ready for this because no matter how you choose to live your life now this will happen Have you chosen to conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ? One of faith, obedience, and love. If you do not, there will still be an eternity. And you will bow before him. You will confess that he is Lord but that eternity will not be of life. However, so that we don't end on that note, the flip side of that coin is that if we do, if we do conduct ourselves in a manner worthy, if we do follow him, if we do come to him in faith, if we do repent and be baptized, then this is going to be so utterly amazing that sometimes I think my brain will explode just thinking about it. Just, I mean, just think about what that moment will be like. That every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ was Lord. That we get to then be with Him for all eternity. And there's many people in this room that are smarter than I. Maybe you can wrap your brains around how awesome that's going to be. But my brain struggles with just how profoundly great this is going to be. This is the hope that we have, isn't it? This is the hope of what is promised to us. I want to, I want to close this morning by reading in Philippians. In Philippians chapter 3 it says this, starting in verse 12. Not that I've already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us, then, who are mature, should take such a view of things. 
And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained.